Amen. So throughout this summer, this summer of love that we've been celebrating, we've looked at a variety of studies in the idea that God is love, that God loves us. God loves us as we saw through Hosea, as we saw through a lot of very intense passages in 1 John and Ephesians 2 and 4. Uh, Then we also looked at our love for God and our love for one another. We'll, we'll continue actually cycling through all of those throughout the month of August into the, the very first week of September. But as we look now, I want to take a look at making the most of every opportunity to be able to love those that are not already connected in your life. The word hospitality that has been an emphasis throughout this summer is the Greek word philoxenia. You may have heard of Philadelphia. Uh, which is to love your brother. But philoxenia is to love those you don't know. Xenia is where we get the word xenophobia, which means a fear of strangers. So xenia is, is someone that is strange to you or someone you don't know so well just yet. And so the, the charge to really be one who connects and loves those that are not kind of in your inside circle just yet, that you would actually love outsiders, is this big charge in the summer of love to get after hospitality with all that we've got. This is something that's a bit easier for sisters. You know, Deb is, uh, boy, oh boy, it works out a lot better for, for Deb to go up to our neighbor's house with a tray of cookies and, and invite them over to our home for maybe dessert or, or dinner of some sort. Uh, when I do that, it just comes off odd. <laughs> and, but I, but I don't want to then just kind of, you know, delegate as the head of the family those activities to my wife. I want to make sure that I'm making new and real and deeper connections of love. That I'm not just simply doing the invitation drive-by to the people that I'm meeting, but deciding to take a very courageous step, a, a, a step that requires a lot of all-in effort on my part, to ask the people to let's, let's get together. Let's have a cup of coffee. If it's early before work, actually a lot of the guys that I reach out to, they love that. They like to think that they're using their days more efficiently and that it happens at a time like that. But nonetheless, I, I want to make sure that we're really thinking through how do we not just kind of hear all of this again and again, but how do we finally flip the switch where we're all in engaged at loving that the spirit does knit us together, unify us as we all, you know, pull in the same direction and make a big difference for reaching Hampton Roads as God really has, has tasked us with. So I want to start over in Colossians chapter four to be able to see a scripture that's quite helpful in this regard. Paul's winding things up to the church in Colossae. And in verse 2, I'll be reading from the ESV, by the way. In verse 2, he gives a series of of, uh, commands. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That just sounds like religious language, and it's easy to hear that and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe that should be a good thing to do. But that's as massive as it gets, actually. To continue steadfastly in prayer... And that prayer being modified as being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In other words, Paul is saying, 
as you live your life, it should be a life that is absolutely guided and prepared by your prayer life. That prayer life is not just random, thank you God for this wonderful day, but rather watchful. Uh, again, I, I, I love this word. I've shared it with you before. It's the word Gregory. It's the, it's the word that means that your eyes are set over the horizon. You're not some short-sighted, hand-to-mouth, staring one foot in front of you person that's just simply reacting to life, but that you're one that is anticipating proactively what it is that's coming over the horizon and what it is that you can actually grab hold of to really use for the greatest benefit for the sake of God. That's your prayer life, is what Paul says. That's how you're to live your life, with that sort of anticipatory view, long horizon view, long-term thinking type of a, of a man that, that he wants you to be. Uh, to, so to be watchful. And then when you are, that you have such faith in what it is for which you pray, and such faith that your prayers are in line, uh, aligned with the will of God, that you do it with thanksgiving. That you rise from your knees thankful that, wow, what I hope to accomplish is in the will of God. Who am I to have such significance in my life? And this is what my day is likely going to be. Because these things, as they come into my view, I will already have anticipated. And I can't wait to get after them. So, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of a Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So, vulnerability here on Paul's part, of course. Pray for me. I'm in prison, but I still think there's going to be open doors. Even from my prison cell, even from my shackles, that there's going to be open doors. And as I see them, man, don't let me let them go by. But let me open my mouth. Let me bring the word. Let me do it with certainty and clarity as I ought to do. And then he says, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. That's a big one. Making the best use of the time. And from that phrase, we'll get the title of tonight's lesson. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That phrase, be very wise in the way that you interact, in your walk with those who are outsiders, with people that you don't know so well yet, with the new friends, the new contacts that God arranges as God himself arranges from one man every nation under earth and arranges the exact times and places where they live and have their being. Why? So that each of them has the best opportunity to seek him and reach out for him and find him. And you're part of that plan now. You were part of that plan on the other side of it as God arranged your life for you. And now you're on the on, on God's side of it as he is arranging time and space and an opportunity so that you can then be that just right, just right place, just the right time instrument of God to make the most of these opportunities that God has presented as you interact with outsiders. Now, this phrase in the ESV, making the best use of the time. First of all, the word time there is not chronos, where we get chronometer or cronies. 
which is the idea of a long length of time, like a timeline. If you were to say time with chronos in the original language here, it would be like time in durations, like make the best use of your week, make the best use of your year. But that's not the word that he uses. There are two words that could be used for time. And if it's not chronos, it might be, anybody know what it might be? Exactly. We've, we've talked about this in, in variety of different times. There's this other idea called kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, if we were to transliterate it into English. Kairos is a very cool concept. It is this idea that there are these precious golden moments that pass through people's lives. And if you recognize them and you take hold of them, everything changes that there's a radical pivot that occurred in your life in some of these Kairos moments, and you will be used in someone else's life as well. That as you are part of their Kairos moment, this Kairos moment that God has bundled up with you in it, as you now bump in to this other person at just the brilliant opportunity. Sometimes it's translated opportunity. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just th this idea of a pregnant moment with purpose, all there. And so what he's saying is, not just make the best use of the weeks or the years, he's saying make the best use of, and be wary of, and look for all the time, these golden opportunities that will end up coming down your path with outsiders, and when you see them, you get after it with all you've got. The word that he uses is a very cool word about getting after it. Uh, it's the word that means to snap up something that's a good deal. It's, it's the word that's used in the marketplace for buying something. It's, it's the word that's used if you see something that is a great value, you give all your money to get as much of it as you possibly can. In other words, it's the idea of being all in. Like you're like, I'm, I'm, put, put it all in, all in on this opportunity. Now, it may not be with your money, but it's all in with your efforts. Now you say, yeah, but I don't have that much time. What he's talking about here is not weeks or years or even days or even hours. He's saying as these golden moments come down your path and God decides in his sovereignty as time and space are being intersected for the sake of you when you were seeking or for somebody else that God is going to use you for, is that when this occurs, you go all in. When you see this happen, it's all bets are off. Anything else that I was about to do, even if it was like a, a really fine sounding thing, oh, it's done with. I now am investing all that I've got. I'm, I'm taking my money out of the market, out of gold, out of bond, and I'm putting it all in on this idea, this effort, this golden opportunity right now, because it's most worthwhile of anything I could possibly do with my energies. The word that's used here for, you know, buy up these opportunities is the same word that's used when Jesus did that with you. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That phrase, you were bought with a price, it's the same verb that's, that's used here. You were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Same word that's used here. As God arranged time and place so that you would come to seek God, at the moment that you were seeking, that's when Jesus was like, I'm all in. I'm all in on Mark. I'm all in on Dave. 
I'm gonna, I'm going to purchase him with my very blood. That's the beauty of this is that we realize Christ did this. He was all in with all the effort that he had, literally with his blood. And now he's asking us to be all in to help pay it forward. Not with our blood, just with all of our energies that we could bring to bear. And as, as we do that, our speech should be full of grace. It should be very salty so that you may know how to converse or answer anyone who is an outsider. This is a, an amazing blueprint that we have that doesn't cause you to be overwhelmed with the mission, but allows you to be an instrument of God, never to be a faithless servant if God chooses you to be the one that is part of this intersection of brilliant space and time to redeem a soul with the blood of Christ. And that when that all comes to our awareness and we go all in, this is the most significant thing that we could ever have. And it may not be that it takes but a moment for you to decide, holy smokes, God is viewing me faithful. He's using me right now in a Kairos moment. It's, it's go time. And am I ready to go? Am I going all in? Because it's go time. And in the, the, the title of the lesson, just for us to, to kind of keep this in mind, is all in for golden moments. All in. If you're going to have a prayer life that is watchful and full of thanksgiving, in your prayer life, you need to be anticipating what those golden moments are. What's going to happen when you get to the workplace? What's going to happen when you have every interaction with an outsider that you could possibly have? And as you have those interactions with outsiders, how do you make it into an effective golden moment? And you know what? It may not be, here's directions to 1132 Pickett Road. How many thousands of times have you done that where it's come to nothing? What if instead, in the spirit of this summer of love, what if instead what you're going to do to make the most of this opportunity is that you ask them to connect over a cup of coffee? You ask them if they want to be able to get together and, and talk more about what it is that God has done to bring the two of you together. People are much more interested in someone that's interested in them. You don't sound like you're interested in them with, here's how you get to 1132 Pickett Road. I know how I feel when I'm doing that. I feel like, oh, this guy's going to think I'm like an Amway guy right now. And they do. And I can tell. You know, you just get the vibe back. I'm not saying that we, don't, we, we stop talking to people. I'm saying we now go deeper and we get saltier and, and our speech is always full with grace, seasoned with salt, but that every opportunity that comes our way, we're all we got, all in, all our energy to make the most of this time and to, and to see the very best that I can do is decide that I'm going to make a friendship connection with this person. I'm going to ask them if they want to be able to connect over some sort of a better conversation and at, at a better place to be able to get deeper and allow my speech seasoned with salt full of grace to have an even bigger effect. But you know why I don't do that? Because it's easier to give directions to 1132 Pickett. Right. It's infinitely easier. And, and here, honestly, if I'm being 
honest. Sometimes I try to be honest when I preach. Not, but I mean, this time I will. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This time. But anyway, when I just give directions to 1132 Pickett Road, I, I know what happens in me. I no longer feel guilty for not doing nothing. Right? And all it does is really, it assuages my guilt. Even though I know that if I ask them to do something that would initiate a friendship, it's more likely that they would say yes to that. And more likely, that would, what would happen in that connection would really bring Jesus to bear in an effective manner. But I, I also know that that's going to require so much more of me. But what if instead of us just clearing our conscience with the 1132 Picket Road GPS human directions, we, we actually did say, you know, this seems like there, there, there's something important that I bet if, that, that if we got into would, would be a really terrific discussion. You know, maybe, maybe now is not the opportunity. If it is, that'd be cool if you want to go sit and hang and talk. But maybe we, we set up some time where we can connect and, and maybe talk a bit. I'd, I'd love to be able to make a deeper connection. That's vulnerable. It's scary, by the way, because you're a guy. And you sound like you're picking them up at that, at that moment. And, and, I, and yet vulnerability is very difficult. Intimacy is very difficult. We have all perfected the comfort level of a little bit of intimacy. And then as soon as it seems to get a little bit past our comfort zone, we then joke our way out of that into a place where we can become more shallow again, which is our normal set point that we're all used to here and with everybody in the world. The, the charge here is to love one another deeply from the heart, to, to take our love deep, more deep than, it, than it's been before. Let's look at the parallel verse to this and we'll bring this home just a little bit more before we discuss this. Uh, look over in Ephesians chapter 5. 15 and 16 are almost a repeat of what we just looked at. So there, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Same concept there. Buy up those Kairos golden moments. Literally the same phrase. Exactly the same words. Making the best use of the time, why? Because the days are evil. In other words, the chronos is profane. The chronos is mundane. The chronos is common. The kairos is sacred. The kairos is holy. The kairos is consecrated. And when a consecrated kairos moment comes your way, in the midst of a profane chronos? Well, look at it for what it is. Grab hold of it with all that you've got. When I was a kid, there was a phrase, grab the brass ring. Has anybody even heard of that phrase? When I was a kid, I grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I grew up four blocks from the boardwalk. And on that boardwalk was a really, really big carousel, one of those old classic carousels. And as I was a little kid, it was quite frightening. You know, the horses went up and down and they were big and it went fast. But I, but I always remember watching kind of like the teenagers always get on the very outside horse, even though it went really fast, and the horse that went up and down. And you'd have to wear that little leather strap or else the, 
the minimum wage guy would yell at you um, if you didn't. But they would lean over as far as they could, straining at that leather strap. Why? Because as you zipped around on that outer ring, there was a dispenser of rings. And those rings were all iron rings that were there. And they're, you know, kind of that, that big. But what you do is as you went by, you would reach for it, rip your finger, and then sue the carousel and make bank. No, that's not what you would do. As you would go by, you'd grab at it. I don't know how the other, I'm sure there's a reason why they don't do it. They got sued out of existence. You grab at it as you're swinging by really fast and you pull out the iron ring. But you have to keep pulling those rings and everybody's pulling at these rings because when the brass ring comes out, you win a really big piece of junk. That's probably worth like a dollar four, but it's a stuffed animal the, the, the size of Preston. And you, you get to bring that home with you. But again, that's the big deal. When you see that golden moment, you grab the brass ring. If you're coming around and the brass ring is there, that's a Kairos moment. Grab the brass ring. If the brass ring is there, grab the brass ring. And, and, and when you, you've got to go all in to get the brass ring. You've got to lean over. You've got to be committed. You've got to not worry what your finger is, is going to hit as you, as you swing by. Hope that it goes in the ring, able to pull it out without your finger ending up back there. And you get the brass ring and you get a dollar four. Uh, amen. And you bring home Preston as a stuffed animal. Right? But these times, again, the timeline is profane. The golden moments are holy, sacred, consecrated, orchestrated by Jesus for a seeker and for you. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. You may say, I don't have time. You don't have Kronos. But God forbid if you mean you don't have Kairos. Because if you're not interested in Kairos, you're not interested in living your life for Christ. And you may not have Kronos, but pray to God that you'll have Kairos. Pray to God that you'll be used as those golden opportunities present themselves. As the brass ring begins to shine as you're making your way around the outer ring, ready to jump at that thing with all that you've got, knowing that, man, you're going to have Preston before too long. Therefore, do not be foolish, verse 17 says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we've studied this verse before because we just went through Ephesians. Do not get drunk with wine that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There is a comparison and a contrast that is being made here. The comparison and the contrast is between what it means to be drunk with wine and what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There's a qualifier is that don't be drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery. But yes, be filled with the Spirit. Because what does it lead to? It leads to love and thanksgiving. You're singing to one another. You're loving one another. You're giving thanks to the Lord in everything. But the similarity between the two, whether you're filled with the Spirit or drunk with wine, the, the reason that they're set in parallel to one another is because in both cases your inhibitions are dropped. With wine, when your inhibitions go away, sadly, what's the result? Debauchery. But with the spirit and your proud inhibitions are set aside, your restraints of wisdom or prudence are set aside, what is left? 
What is left is for the Holy Spirit to be expressed through you right in the middle of a golden moment. And think about when people are drunk with wine and their inhibitions go down. Two things happen. They're more bold and they're more vulnerable. Right? To, to express how deeply I love you, man. You know, it happens when those inhibitions go down. I think we could take a bit of a lesson from that. Not a lesson on let's get drunk. Not a lesson on debauchery. But a lesson on God's spirit, if we do not restrain him, will lead us towards greater boldness and greater vulnerability. Greater warmth, greater thanksgiving, greater intensity as we see these Kairos moments come our way. And to pray, as we pray, God says, how much more will he give you his Holy Spirit who pray for him? Pray that the Holy Spirit is what leads you, prompts you, guides you, rather than your prefrontal cortex. Your prefrontal cortex is the best part of you. But your prefrontal cortex is going to perform some cost-benefit analysis, some risk-reward equations, and you know what's going to come out at the end? I don't know if I want to take a hit to my reputation by peeling back my inhibitions and allowing the Holy Spirit to have full vent through me as his vessel. God forbid that that's how we live our lives. Because then as the Kairos moments come, we're not able to rise up to the task. We're not able to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us to be able to make those courageous connections. And when I say courageous connection, it doesn't mean you jump up on a table and you start preaching repent. I mean that you... Stop, realize what God has orchestrated through a consecrated Kairos moment. Realize what he has orchestrated and considered you faithful and not go by your flesh and your pride and your restraints or your inhibitions, but allow the Holy Spirit full effect to be expressed and manifested. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the incomparably power, incomparable power that is at work within you. Allow that to really be what guides you in that moment so that you can be vulnerable and that you can be bold and that you can take that courageous step to say, I'd like to take a better step of friendship. I'd like to make a connection. In this summer of love, not that you say this, but I think for, for our own thoughts, in this summer of love where we decide to stretch ourselves for the sake of love, you're not going to stretch yourself to be more loving based on your own discipline to try to be more loving. The way that you're going to be more loving is what this passage says. Get your inhibitions out of the way and watch the way God can suddenly love through you. Watch the ability of the Holy Spirit to be able to make those connections through you. As a staff, we actually journaled this for a long period of time and saw how we were doing. And the good news that flowed was astounding. It was as if there was like a, a fountain of youth in our walk with Christ. Beautiful in so many different ways. But this is the part that I love the most is that when we shared all of this good news, not once did anyone feel as though, look at me, look what I did. Because we realized every one of these miraculously cool good news stories was in spite of ourselves. And that all we did is we finally became more keenly aware that we had to get ourselves out of the way. And when we did, we had this honored position of being in the front row to watch God the Holy Spirit work in that situation in that consecrated Kairos moment. And we got to be there for it. It was almost as if, well, yeah, I happened to tag along, but God did all of that beautiful heavy lifting. 
How else you want to live your life? That's life to the full. That's actually realizing the incomparably great power that dwells within you. How do you unleash that? How do you unleash that love? How do you allow that vulnerability to, to make that real connection? Time to recognize how our inhibitions are keeping us from a real summer of love. And that if we could just trust that God's will will be done by us getting out of the way, a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline will be expressed through our small lives and through the greatness of that Holy Spirit, one after another after another. Think of it across all of Hampton Roads as we pray, anticipate Kairos moments as they come our way. We're like, yes, God, this is what we were just talking about. I, you know what? I'm with you, God. I'm on it. I'm on the job. I'm all in. And I'm all in and I'm going to get out of the way and watch you make this great connection. Thank you, God, that you would so consider me to be significant enough to play a part in what is going on here as you arrange all of this, as you consecrate this in the midst of a profane timeline. You put this beautiful, brilliant, golden Kairos consecration right here in my path. And I get to be part of it. And I'm not ill-equipped because the Holy Spirit is ready to be expressed through my life. Let's go to our groups. Let's talk about a couple things. How can we pray more deliberately like Gregory? How do we pray with anticipation of these Kairos moments that will come our way? What might be those Kairos moments that have already come your way today? What are ones that might come your way tomorrow? How can you make the most of them? How can you be all in? on the Kairos moments? How can you make the very most of it? And how is it that you can be more loving, more vulnerable to take a courageous step of deeper connection with every connection of Kairos consecration that God has put in your path? I know there's a lot of questions there, but I think if we start talking about things like that, the summer of love is going to blossom into something really powerful. Let's go ahead and break to our groups.